welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today our topic is choking. We want to talk about how players react in positions when they're in the lead or maybe just about to win. Um, and what prompted Josh and I to discuss this is an email that I received about um, a junior player who's experiencing these, these feelings. And um, so I'll just paraphrase the email for us so that we can get set some context. So this particular player um, is a good player, tournament player. He's been improving quite a bit, but also he's having some challenges at this moment with, with choking. Um, and in fact, uh, the parent who sent me the email mentioned that I uh, lost a three setter this, this earlier this week, he'd won the first set fairly easily, uh, but then couldn't, couldn't clear his mind in the second and third set. And, almost got to a catastrophic level of looking like doesn't even know how to play, which is something that can, that can definitely happen. So the parent you know, emailed me looking for some suggestions, asking if you know, something like meditation might be helpful, um, breathing exercises. The, the player has, has said that breathing doesn't seem to work, nothing works. So there does sound uh, like there's a little bit of closed-mindedness on some of this at, at a certain point. So we want to definitely talk about that. Um, and yeah, simply though, the parent was asking, you know, what are some things that could possibly help with this player so that, um, you know, can learn to control his thoughts better and, and, you know, when in the lead can, can continue to play well or, or close out that match. So I think we can all identify with this particular situation. We've probably all been on both sides of this. We've probably all at a certain level, choke the lead away. So we know how this feels and it you know, doesn't feel good at all and it doesn't feel good to play that way. Maybe even your game went to that catastrophic drop in level like is described in this email. And then on the flip side, we've all probably been down and come back. And in both situations, I think that you know it's good to recognize there's a dynamic there. One player is in a position where he or she has something to lose or at least feels that way. And then the other player may be in a position where he or she doesn't feel like they have anything to lose and then kind of freeze things up. So Josh, you know, looking at this email, we don't necessarily have all the information that we would want in order to, to help this player. What are some things that, you know, if you could be speaking with this particular player that you'd want to know, what are some questions you, you, you'd want to ask? Yeah, I um, mean it's definitely you know definitely an interesting an interesting email. I think it's an important topic because, as you mentioned, um, I'd, I'd say every tennis player has been has experienced this and been on on both sides of this, um, and knows how challenging it can be when a lead is slipping away, or maybe after the fact you look back and um, you would experience something like this. Um, but also, you know, have been on the other side and can see. Um, sort of that momentum and that force of turning a match around and being able to um, capitalize on um, the dynamic of a match where um, an another player is choking. Um, but I, th I think an important first step is um, the, the awareness piece. And to be aware or to um, help a player, you know, become aware, find that awareness of what's, what's taking place um, and what's taking place in that moment when they're ahead. Now, are they thinking about the score? Um, are they thinking about the outcome of the match in terms of winning, in terms of what that might mean, in terms of, okay, 
if I win this match, what does that do to my ranking? What is that? Who am I going to play next? Uh, what does that do to my UTR? This, this outcome-based thinking. Um, and also thinking about their past experiences. Maybe they had another match recently where they choked or they nearly choked and um, got tight as they were getting close to the finish line. And maybe even if they didn't lose um, this, they, they felt, you know, they, they felt that tightness that, that will often happen. Um, so thinking about or, or being, being aware of where their thoughts are, are their thoughts on the outcome or their thoughts on these past experiences that they've had um, maybe even identifying with some of these past experiences um, to the level of thinking that, you know, something like this always happens to them. Um, so I, I'd say that that first piece is really trying to be aware of, okay, this has happened in the past, or this is something that's happening. Okay. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that and really notice and be aware of where, what are my thoughts like? What am I thinking during these moments? And then it can be easier to address them once, once you reach that awareness and once that's identified. And I think another to go along with that is how is the players, you know, what are their bodily sensations at that moment? So there's this probably newer theory with respect to emotions called the theory of constructed motions that essentially says that, you know, how your body is feeling, like how your, whether that's uh, your energy levels or let's just say, for an example, let's say a player is feeling butterflies in the stomach, little, you know, heart rate is a little more rapid than usual, right? A little higher than usual. Um, well, what emotions is that person experiencing? One person might say that those are the bodily sensations of nerves and anxiety. Somebody else might say, oh no, that person's excited. And so what it means is, is how are we interpreting our bodily sensations? And so in this, I think that would be important to know here. What is this player actually feeling and how is he interpreting that? Um, because we can change our interpretation. We can change what <clears throat> emotion concept we associate with those feelings. Um, it's not, um, you know, like a certainty that you must feel anxiety or nerves, right? We just said different situations where different people could interpret it differently, right? So we'd want to help this player. We, I think we'd want to know what is this player feeling in it in that sensation um when uh, the player suggests that breathing doesn't work i'd like to know more about that what's really going on there did you how long did you try it for um did you try it just a couple of times and it didn't work okay that that makes sense and it probably wouldn't work um at that moment and it might also be a question of you know what are you prioritizing in that moment you're still prioritizing winning and losing and and you're just not in a good good state. So it's possible that given how the player's feeling, his body chemistry could be in such a bad place that yes, one or two breaths isn't going to do anything. Maybe you need to do this for a series of, of games. Um, I think it'd also be interesting to know, we've talked about this, competing in itself is a skill. So how often is the player competing? Is it regularly... Or is it maybe because of the pandemic, not as often? Not, not everybody is playing as often. Some players are not playing as often. And so what happens when we're not competing more regularly, the skills of how to handle the different situations that come up in a match, like closing or being up a set, you lose that 
a little bit. Um, you know, and also with young players, we'd want to know a little bit more about where they are, you know, age-wise and cognitive development. Are we comparing things more often? You know, you and I both work with juniors. If we're getting closer to that college recruiting process or in the middle of it, it just seems to dial the pressure up a lot. So there might also be, you know, are there other outside forces creating more pressure? As you were saying, Josh, you know, out, out on the court, you might be thinking about what's my UTR, my ranking, and so forth. So those are sort of like outside sources of interference. And so I think that would really be the first thing we we would both want to do is get that complete picture of of what's really going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I think uh, I think you bring up a good point in terms of the the physical sensations. Um, I, I think as we look back to um, one of our past conversations uh, with Jeff Greenwald and um, his whole concept of playing loose, going yeah. from feeling feeling tight to playing loose, and I, I think a, a big piece of that is identifying those symptoms, those physical symptoms of tightness. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned your heart racing or your, your palms getting sweaty, um, but you, it's tough to be able to address them in, until they're identified. Um, so that's, I think that that's definitely a, a big first piece. Um, and I, I think another, another piece of it is um, not, not, not feeling like any one particular match is the, the end all be all that. Okay. And it, it's easy to, to think that way. Um, you, you mentioned a lot of players maybe aren't, haven't competed as much over the past 12 or so months as they, they have in the past. Um, which, you know, I, I think we'd both suggest playing more practice matches or looking for competition opportunities, however possible. Um, but maybe you haven't been in this situation for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if it's, I think it's easier to handle a situation like this if you've been there recently, maybe um, you've had a, a lead almost slip away and you can think back to those moments where, okay, I was, you know, I was up 5-2 and then they got the break back and they tie, you know, um, evened up the, the match, but I was able to regain my composure. I, you know, implemented certain techniques maybe it's breathing maybe it's self-talk or some sort of you know reminder system that you have um but being able to think back to those matches whether they were in official matches um or something on the practice court um and and also i I think you know recognizing that uh this what we're talking about right now and, and being able to i would avoid it but also to address it in that moment is a skill um and recognizing that okay um, this this match here that I'm playing, this is practice for my my that next match that's coming up. Or you know, if we're talking about a junior player, okay, yes, I I really want to you know it would be great to win this match and have my UTR continue to rise. But this is also great practice for those higher pressure college matches that I'm, I'm playing in, on the horizon. Um, so I think uh, I think there's a lot of dynamics at play. Um, it, to me, it all starts with that um, awareness piece, uh, but then also not, you know, not identifying too much with any one particular result, or not placing too much importance on any one particular match, and having a a more long term perspective, thinking about okay, are we building the the skills needed to um, to ad- address address this and to be able to handle whatever sorts of situations might come at me. 
and that gets back to our everything is practice philosophy. Yep. And because that is really helpful when we're putting a little bit too much importance on any one match or tournament or or whatever, right? It's all about helping us improve. And we have to have that long-term perspective to do this. I think as you were talking, it also reminded me um, to throw out a, a caution to coaches and parents about how you talk about this with players. Because even the email that I received, we don't know what the conversation is between the, the, the parent and the player, but it almost sounded as if they're talking about it as if this is a pattern reality type of thing. And uh, I think we have to be careful that we don't, uh, the way we speak of it doesn't make the player even over-identify more with what is happening. Yeah, because the more you talk about this in this way, then the player, the more he or she is going to believe you. Well, yeah, I am a choker. Oh, this is always happening because we're always talking about that, that type of thing. And I think it's really important that we help players understand that this is simply an experience. It's not part of who you are. You know, we all experience failure. That doesn't make us failures. We all lose matches. That doesn't make us losers. Um, you know, you miss a forehand. That doesn't mean you have a bad forehand. And uh, but they, these are the types of things that happen with players. They sort of go down this this continuum of you know, I made an error. I have a bad forehand. I'm a terrible player. I'm a loser. I suck. Right? Go down that that path very quickly. And um, that's something I think we would have to unravel even in this situation because it just sounds like from the email that there's this talk of, yes, I'm a choker. And and then the parents talking about, yeah, he's joking. <laughs> he's a choker. Um, so I think that that's, uh, yeah, just in terms of like the ecosystem around a player, really important about how we talk about such issues. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I think uh, players... Once, once that happens and it's, okay, this has happened in the past, I'm a choker, once, once that um, begins, then it, it's very easy once a player is in that position to think, okay, this always happens, here we go again, uh, which is, can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Um, so, and I think it's also important to normalize it, to identify that, okay, even top, you know, top players in the world on the men's and women's tours have have experienced this. Um, you can look back at, at Federer at Wimbledon. Um, and you know, that could be seen as an example of, I mean, there are countless examples at, at every level of the sport. So I think normalizing this and, um, sort of depersonalizing, um, this experience that as, Hey, this is just part of performance. This is, it's normal that once you're in that winning position or once, um, sort of the finish line is, is in sight that it's, common to tighten up it's common to go away from playing your game and going away from the style of tennis that ultimately got you into this winning position in the first place um i think an important thing to consider here is thinking about okay let's say let's think of a situation where a player is up they're up a break and maybe they they fail to to close out a match in that once they got to that position um and maybe now they're in a tie break or they're, they're down in that tie break. Um, having, being able to pause for a second and have that clarity of mind to think, okay, um, going back to this, who's doing what to whom philosophy um, from, from winning ugly from Brad Gilbert. 
and being aware of, okay, why has the match, why have the, the dynamics of the match, why is the momentum shifted? Um, okay, maybe I'm feeling a little tighter here, but has my has my game changed? Maybe in the beginning, you know, the I got to this position of, of serving for the match um, or being ahead in the match because I was, I was playing aggressively. I was attacking my opponent's weaknesses. And then all of a sudden, once I get into that winning position, quote unquote, um, once I get to that 5-4 position, I started to play really tentatively. I stopped going for my serves. I stopped to uh, I, I stopped attacking my opponent's vulnerabilities in that same kind of way. Um, so being able to be aware of that in the moment and okay, has have the dynamics of my strategy in that moment changed? Um, am I not doing what was effective in the first place? Uh, can be helpful and can actually lead to a boost of confidence that okay, I'm not necessarily losing here because. I, you know, I, I'm choking and there's nothing I can do where, okay, maybe some, maybe one of the big reasons why the, the dynamics of the match has changed is because I'm not going for those same strategies that made me effective and, and helped me to be in a winning position in the first place. And I think that is, you know, when we talk about being a mentally tough tennis player, it's being able to recognize situations like that, knowing what the dynamics are, and then choosing to continue to play the right way. And I think what happens in these situations is that um, a player gets up. They're not as aware that the scoreboard affects how they play and feel, and they just let it go. And they just sort of, it goes and it goes and it goes. But if you're a mentally tough player and aware, a player who's aware of what's going to happen, you know that if you've won the first set, that, okay, I can't let the scoreboard dictate what I want to do. Let me change that dynamic. Here's what I do want to do. Here's what I know I need to do. Um, I've won the first set, so now I'm going to keep my foot on the gas. I'm going to keep up the pressure. Or if I'm up 5-4, hey, pressure's on the other player. I actually don't have to win this game. I could lose this game and still be in the match. Let me, again, go out and do what I need to do. The whole thing really comes down to when we're letting the scoreboard dictate how we feel and how we play, we're generally playing not to lose. We're avoiding a negative result. When we are more aware and mentally tougher about these situations and we, we understand the dynamics, we recognize that this is the moment to play to win. This is the moment to actually do something rather than avoiding that, that situation. Um, and like we've been saying, this happens to all of us. It's a matter of bringing the awareness to the situation um, and trying to not over-identify with this and not think that this is a, you know, a permanent or pervasive pattern in how we play. And, you know, one of the first things I'd, I'd want to try to help this player with is, all right, let's unravel this in terms of this, you know, who you are as a player. You are not a choker. You're just a tennis player. You're, you're a young person who's playing tennis. That's it. And you're experiencing certain things out there. Um, so could we, instead of feeling like this is a, you know, I, I am a problem. Can we just study the problem a little bit more, be a little bit more curious about it, almost like a scientific type of mindset and and dive into it more from a place of understanding and awareness rather than there's something wrong with me. And, and if we can get the player to start to look at it that way, make it less emotional, make it more about, hey, this is just an interesting problem I need to solve. Everybody goes through it. Um, maybe the more I learn about the concept of choking – and the strategy, I could even learn some of this on my own, 
perhaps I will be able to understand a little bit more about myself and what's going on on, on the court. So I think that would actually be a, you know, when we're talking about awareness, let's build that awareness in, in the player, but also get them to think about it from a place of curiosity rather than a place of there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, we've, we've talked about mindfulness. We devoted an episode to it and uh, curiosity is a, is a big tenant of it. Yeah. We're, we're not judging that experience. We're simply noticing it, being curious about it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Or, okay. I, I noticed that I'm, I'm feeling a certain way. I notice these thoughts that are taking place. And then I think an, another point that, that you brought up is uh, we're, we're responding. We're choosing our response based on maybe preparation we've done in the past. Maybe that has to do with um, a conversation between a coach or sports psychology professional and a player. Maybe it's the whole team, including a parent or um, whatever that team looks like. Um, but we've done the, the preparation ahead of time. We have the skill set. So once we're on court, we have you know the tools that we can choose from so that we can choose that response. So we're not just reacting in that moment or, uh-oh, I'm, I'm, I'm choking if the match is slipping away and not feeling like you have any options or any tools, but okay, we have this tool set. We know that this is um, something that takes place in tennis and in all sports really. Um, but okay, now we're going to choose that response. Now we're going to um, be able to slow things down maybe and um, pick our path forward here rather than feeling like that it's something completely out of our control. We've talked about, some things we'd have this player do. Let's perhaps get into it a little bit more formally, Josh, and talk about some some specific interventions. You know, the parent brought up the idea of, of meditation. You just brought it up in terms of mindfulness. You know, is that a good idea? I think we both agree that that would be uh, you know a potentially good idea to teach the player to be more of a watcher and an observer of his thoughts, and again, not necessarily identifying with those. You know, there's a even though it sounds like a very simple difference. Uh, it really makes a difference between saying something like, I am nervous as opposed to I'm feeling nervous. One you know, one is we're making it part of us, other we're noticing how we're feeling. So we'd want to, you know, I think meditation and mindfulness could help the player um, adjust that, that type of language and develop that, that non-judgmental type of thing. So, you know, in response to the parent's question, is, is this a good idea? Yeah, I, I think it it's certainly not anything that's going to um, you know, be uh, harmful to what the player is experiencing, right? And um, I think we would both agree that dealing with this situation is not um, a quick fix. Everything that we're going to talk about, I think, would have to be practiced and experienced over the course of, of, of you know, a, a month or two or more uh, as, as, you, as we would work with this player. So uh, beyond meditation, Josh, what are some other things that you think you would want to work on with this player? Yeah, um, I, I'd say one one thing um, relating to meditation, relating to the question in the first place, um, where the the parent says that they've tried meditation or they've tried um, deep breathing and nothing nothing works. Um, I would push back on that, um, and I, I I know you you would as well, um, in terms of developing the skill of mindfulness and recognizing that it does take does take time um, to, to, to build that skill set where you wouldn't um, work on your forehand for one or two lessons for a handful of lessons and then say, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. Um, where this is something that um, has to be built over time 
um, you need to spend the time um, practicing it, you know, on a regular basis if you're going to find the benefits from it. Um, so that's that's the first piece I would say, um, and that uh, also sometimes, um, as as we know, people will uh, have better or, or worse experiences where they um, they might feel that okay, in this on this one particular day, I am able to observe my thoughts. I'm able to be that watcher where at another time, okay, I'm feeling really distracted or I'm identifying with my thoughts. Um, so it's not an all or nothing type thing, but it, it really is a process and a skill that um, can be learned over time and, and developed. Um, but as it relates to other interventions, um, visualization is definitely a big one uh, where we can work with players on um preparing ahead of time, going through mental rehearsal where, okay, let's put ourselves in that situation where we're ahead. How do we want to be? How do we want to be feeling? How do we want, what are some of the behaviors that we want to be going through? What are maybe some of the routines that we want to be utilizing in that moment? Um, Okay, let's put ourselves in that situation of now um, a different score where we've gone from 5-2 to 5-4 all of a sudden. Okay, um, can we visualize... um, all of the different senses that we might be experiencing in that moment that we want to experience in that moment as well. Um, so visualization is definitely a big one. Um, I, I would also add in, and I think we've touched on it a little bit, um, utilizing self-talk, maybe having some reminders, um, whether that be in our bag or somewhere else um, for that moment and to feel prepared. I think I, I, to me, if a player is, um, is prepared and, and we've talked about these, um, event- these eventual possibilities, um, then they're going to feel a little bit more confident and comfortable um, in that moment. They're, they're not going to feel helpless. They'll feel that, okay, this is a normal part of tennis. I just need to um, address it and respond in, in the best possible way here. So I would point to um, self-talk and reminders as well as visualization as, as some other interventions that could be, could be helpful here. To go along with the visualization, I think we'd also want to perhaps begin that with a with a plan. And you mentioned the questions to answer. I think it's actually good to explicitly answer those questions about, okay, what is it? What should my attitude here be when I'm in this situation? Uh, very often the attitude is more about avoidance or scoreboard related versus, you know, something else where it could be getting the player to focus more on what they want to do. And we might also want to plan out in the visualization, okay, what are the emotions you want to feel? So let's just write those down. Um, what is it you want to focus on in that moment? What are the things you'd like to see yourself doing there? Um, just so we have, uh, not it doesn't have to be scripted, although it could be, um, but that we have some really specific things that are going to be included in that visualization. So we're not just making it up on the fly. And, uh, you know, I've found that creating that visualization plan or that imagery plan can be very helpful so that players can read through it prior to doing that. And then it's, it, it, you know, is, is highly effective in that regard. Um, we could have them, you know, in terms of developing that attitude, because I really feel like attitude often drives performance, work with them on developing and embrace the challenge mindset here. Um, because as we mentioned earlier, what we're really doing when we're in the, going through this choking piece is we're avoiding certain things. We're avoiding, you know, we're trying to avoid losing or avoid losing our lead. 
so we want to embrace this situation. We want to take it on, take on this as a challenge. So, and, and however it comes out, if we embrace it, we can deal with that result better, win or lose. Right. So I think uh, I'm in full agreement on the visualization thing. Um, I think, you know, also with respect to preparation, Josh, the more we learn about how emotions are constructed, the more we realize it's related to how we feel. So is the player getting enough sleep? Is the player uh, eating correctly and well hydrated? So what are the energy levels there? Um, the better that that is, the better the player will be able to uh, construct the emotions that he or she needs in these moments. So if we've got a deficit in sleep or if we're a little bit hungry or undernourished, <clears throat> we're more likely to have uh, experience, you know, unpleasant emotional states, you know, in these, in these types of situations. So we want to make sure that that stuff is there from a preparation perspective. And I, you know, I throw out to every athlete who listens to this, put a huge high priority on your sleep and make sure that if you know if you have some sort of event coming up that you feel is really important prioritize your sleep three to five days ahead of time so that you're feeling really good in that regard there's so many players i work with i can tie their bad days to their sleep patterns and it's it's uncanny how that works and so you know, maybe this isn't for everyone but i would say at least sort of 80 20 rule 80 percent of us probably need to get enough sleep in order to perform to perform well. I love the idea of, of specific self-talk. Again, that's stuff we should be writing out as part of our of our planning and preparation. And I'm uh, also a huge advocate of having reminders on the court, whether that's an index card, a sheet, a notebook. And this could be for a specific situation that you write down. Your 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 notes on the court to me are like that's your on-court coach. Because in the moment, we tend to forget things. But we can use that as a, as a means of, of reminding ourselves. And it's not that we don't know those things, but in the moment, we're unable to perhaps recall them. And so we need these, these types of reminders. And your notes really should be, I would say, like the collective wisdom of you, the player, your coach, perhaps your sports site, perhaps a parent, you know, some sort of, maybe there's some sort of philosopher in your life. Put those down in your notes. You, that's what you want to bring to the court because that's, that's, that's the coaching voice that you want to use. There can also be um, your biggest fan voice appearing in these notes, letting you know you can do it, boosting your confidence or boosting your motivation, perhaps a reminder of a match in which you have done this in the past. You know, my on-court reminder sheet, I actually have the names of a couple of players um, who I had great matches against in the past, and it just helps me remember, yes, you can do this. You have the ability to, to come back from this, this type of situation. So I think those are, those are great interventions to, to get the player working on. Um, you know, one thing we've been kind of dancing around to here, Josh, is, is how the player explains what's happening to themselves. Um, we often call this narrative style, and there can be different types of ways that people explain it. You know, are we overgeneralizing it, like saying this always happens, versus is this all right? This just happened this one time, and not a big deal. Um, you know, 
are we attributing this to factors that are outside of our control or within our control? And so it can be also interesting to get players to write about their experiences and then help them go through that and help them understand where, okay, we could actually change how we perceive this. And this might actually be a healthier way of explaining what just happened to us. Absolutely. No, I think, uh, having, you know, having players go through that process of explaining what happened. Um, I would tie that in actually to the post, the postmortem piece or, okay, let's, let's, we had this experience, let's journal or let's um, review that match, um, which as we've talked about here is, is often an important step that's, you know, sometimes neglected. Um, but let's try to learn from that experience. Um, so thinking about, okay, um, how are they defining it? But also um, thinking about, okay, this, this happened. Um, what, did, what would we have done differently um, if we had, if we go through it again, or if we were to go through that again, um, what did we learn from that experience as well? So thinking about, you know, we talk about learning from our wins and our losses, um, trying to learn from these experiences again and you know being able to look back at them to say okay i've been through this in the past and i learned from it i i know now um if i were in this situation what i do what i do differently um again we talk about best practices in terms of trying not to identify too much with these experiences but maybe a player looks back at at that match and thinks okay um I could have spent my changeovers a little bit better here. I could have um, looked back at that index card that I created. Um, I could have focused more on my breathing during during those changeovers. I could have had certain um, self-talk that would have been helpful, whether more on the motivational side in terms of like in terms of being able to turn it around, maybe thinking back to um, past matches past um successful matches i I really like that um having you know those reminders of you know people people's names or um, particular matches that you played in um i think that can definitely boost a lot of boost your confidence in that moment Um, but also more instructional things where maybe it's um, a particular shot that you're working on or you view as a weakness and you're spending a lot of time on the practice court on that shot um and it's some sort of simple reminder or cue, like, you know, really engaging your legs or really trying to load on a particular shot or or whatever it is, or moving your feet. If you find that when you feel that this is happening and you maybe feel tight, that you stop to move your feet, you stop, you stop moving your feet in the way that you want to. Um, So I I would say um, looking back at those matches and maybe um, identifying one or two things that you learned or things that you would do differently the next time through and okay, can I slow things down in that moment and utilize my changeover? Can I try to really make sure I'm um, making my opponent uncomfortable and, you, you know, use, using my strengths um, and, and trying to exploit my opponent's weaknesses in that moment? Um, and can I have the perspective that my opponent is probably tight and feeling nervous too? Um, I, I really like that you brought up that if we're up 5-4, it's really our opponent that has something to lose in that moment. They are on the brink of losing the set where we, even if we lose that game, we're still tied. We're still in the middle of that set. Um, So I I think having some of these perspectives and talking through and and writing down, um, talking through these perspectives and writing down the answers to some of these questions. Okay. We're in this situation. What might be a productive way to, 
um, to, to view this situation. Um, doing that work ahead of time, that preparation, um, is going to help a player feel more in control in that moment. So I think then the next logical step is incorporating all this into practice. Yep. Going out into the court and, 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 and practicing these things so that because I don't think it's necessarily realistic to just say, oh, we'll, we'll wait for the next tournament in order to try this out. We have to you know, play some practice matches. And we have to go out, I think, onto the court with the primary focus of we want to work on how we feel out there, work on our breathing and our body language so that we're feeling good. Um, all those things that you just mentioned, we want to, you know, whether it's a changeover routine, in-between point routine, we want to be going through those things just as if we were playing a tournament match, looking at the notes, so that when that situation occurs in a you know an event that counts for more, you've gone through those steps, you've practiced those steps just as you've practiced your forehand, because these are skills as well. And I think too often players of all levels may not be practicing exactly the way they want to compete. And if we're working through an issue like this, then that's I think really important that we bring that level of diligence to how we practice in, in those moments. Um, so I think that would be the next thing. And, and so by adding more match play or more pressure play to what you do also, you know, there might be situations that a coach could help set up that create more pressure and practice again so that we become more comfortable with it, that we're able to use a more of an embrace the challenge mindset with respect to pressure rather than an avoidance mindset. And then it becomes more normal. It just becomes part of, of what we do. And that can really, again, feed back into our, the philosophy that we've been promoting of, you know, in the last few months of everything is practice. We're simply learning from this. And then, then when that practice match is over, like you said, sometimes the journaling piece gets neglected. Let's not neglect this, especially since we're trying to work through a very specific problem. We want to, we want to, understand and rate how did we feel how did we perform on certain variables in our game our confidence our our ability to use the breath how was our body language out there as well as you know different questions about what did i learn from the experience what did i do well what could have been better those those types of things so the that reflection piece which is often not done is really critical if we want to address a, a larger problem like this or something that has become a, a, a bigger problem, right? Something that perhaps the player is, 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 has begun to over-identify with. It's going to take a lot of work to get through this. And um, a lot of that's going to happen in practice. And, and some of these things we've talked about are off the court. So yeah, there's meditation, but perhaps we would also instruct the player on relaxation training learning what it's like to feel more relaxed. And that's off-court work that can be done so that when you are doing some breathing on the court, you actually have a, an understanding of where you want to, what your end goal is there, what the end result of, you know, feeling loose and relaxed is. So, they, yeah, once, we, once we've gone through a lot of that stuff, then it's about actually instituting it into physical practice. Uh, absolutely. Um I'd say, um, you know, progressive muscle relaxation can definitely be a, for sure. a helpful tool here for, uh, and, you know, if, if some of our listeners maybe haven't 
ever tried this out, there are certainly plenty of scripts online or videos, videos. that could yeah. be helpful here. Absolutely. Um, in terms of um, tightening and tightening certain parts of our body um, and then releasing that tension and helping us to become more aware of those physical um, sensations and, and that those feelings of tightness and then feeling like we have a tool to release that tension. Also, um, we've talked about some of the apps like Headspace and Calm waking up um, that are helpful with meditation and really learning that meditation process. Um, but a lot of them will include a body scan where we're going from head to toe generally um, noticing not, not different, different from progressive muscle relaxation where we're um, intentionally tightening or loosening, um, releasing that tension from parts of our body, the body scan, we're more so just noticing and being aware of that tension or any sorts of, um, feelings or sensations going on in, in different aspects, different parts of our body. Um, so I, I would say both of those tools can, can be helpful um, for identifying, um, you know, f- physical um, sensations uh, of tightness, of anxiety, of tension, um, and then having, having a tool to be able to utilize in that moment. Yeah. So this has been a really interesting conversation, Josh, about choking. I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything else that you would want to say to this player or the parent um, as we as we wrap this up? Yeah, I would say um, I would end with the the fact that it, it is a normal experience. It is the, something that every tennis player, if you've played enough tennis, if you've played enough matches, you've been through this. Um, You've been probably on both sides of this, in fact. Um, so to normalize the situation as something that happens, as these are part of the dynamics of sports, a part of being able to, once you see that finish line, that um, all of a sudden it can get a lot tougher to actually get there. Um, and part, tied into that is that, okay, let's um, let's not identify with it. I think uh, that's that's probably the, the next logical step that, okay, this is something normal that happens to, to me and happens to everybody. Okay, let's not identify and say, I, I am a choker. This always happens. I get into these situations and I blow it. No, let's think, think through as we've talked about in this conversation um, and have, you know, have some contingency plans. Let's um, try to, you know, learn from our experiences. Let's, um, you know, let's try to understand the problem a little bit deeper um, so that we can, you know, can, can handle these situations better when they occur, because as long as you're playing matches, these situations will occur and you'll be on both sides of them. So um, to be able to understand the issue and, and understand, um, you know, that, that this can and will happen, um, but to have, to feel that you're in control because you have, um, you, you have the tools to, to handle it when it, when it, when you encounter it. Well, I think that's a great way to close the conversation, Josh. So everyone, thank you for listening. That's our show for today. Uh, For more information on today's show, please check out our show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for us, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. We're also posting new uh, episode notifications to our Instagram account. Thanks again, and we will talk to you soon.